It's a Valentine's Day edition, Barry, because I'm sure after this, you've gone out, had some nice pasta, possibly, or some quality alone time. Which are you thinking is going to happen, Mr. Rose? So I, I already have plans. We oh, are, look at you. Exactly. So to avoid the crush, and I should say we're recording this episode, I guess would be four days prior to Valentine's Day. I was I have plans to go out with Jamie Ward. The, he is your Valentine. He is. <laughs> Jamie, you didn't know it. Breaking cafe. Talk about a guy on Valentine's Day that can deliver the mail. Anyway, no. <laughs> the post. There, I did there you go. <laughs> I love it. So Jamie and I are actually going to uh, have dinner this weekend with uh, we'll be meeting. I'll be meeting Mrs. Ward for the oh, first time. Okay. And of course, I'll be bringing the young lady that I am currently dating. Okay. Uh, but with that, of course, we you, you can't get a reservation anywhere. It's Valentine's Day weekend. So with that, I am cooking dinner for my Valentine's on Monday. I have got a three-course dinner lined up that I will be cooking and very exciting. And Jeff just texting me young. <laughs> well, Jeff, she's my age. but well. you're Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm not calling you out, but you had told me that. So <laughs> I don't want the listeners to think you're dating someone who's in her twenties either. So yeah, well, no, yeah. it's not happening. Our yet. policy is honesty here, Rose. You're so, right. You're right. On this particular episode, amongst other things, we are going to be discussing, Oh, Barry, it's AEW dynamite from, uh, at the time we're recording this last night, which was wow. One hell of a broadcast, one hell of an episode, little bit of everything. We have lots of pros couple of cons that we're going to mention. Uh, besides that, the man that Roddy Piper used to call AC baby, Bob Orton Jr. will be joining us. And what are the odds, folks? Our match of the week is a Bob Orton match. It's almost like uh, I, I knew something was going to happen. We are taking a look at an ICW match as Bob Orton Jr. takes on the Pistol Man, Pez Watley, and actually a really good TV match. We really enjoyed it with a very good ending. Besides all that, because, Barry, we are nothing if not what? Givers. Thank you. And since Barry has plans for Valentine's Day with uh, his young lady, <clears throat> we are going to be looking at the top 10 extinct restaurants. Ones that maybe you used to go to when you were a kid. Or maybe we'll get some smart ass that'll go, uh, I'm, uh, I'm 22. I've never heard of any of these restaurants. No, we're, no, we're not talking to you. We're talking about yeah, people that are maybe a little bit old. <laughs> Sorry for saying that. Shibari, I know that you had a chance to watch AEW uh, at the time we were recording this. It would have been last evening. I DVR'd it and watched it this morning. Your thoughts overall on the show. What do you think? Boy, I couldn't have been any happier. And I, I'll tell you when that, uh, I guess it was 90 minutes, maybe 95 minutes went by. And the announcers come on and they say, coming up next, our main event. I'm like, already? You know, unlike like an episode of Monday Night Raw, which I haven't watched in maybe a month, I was watching Reacher this past Monday, Jeff, which well, obviously good on you, oh, real good on me, much, much more satisfying than watching Raw. But I think my point is it goes by so quick. AEW is such a quick watch and there are faults, which we can talk about. But well, let me just time, ask you real quick, more, sure. more action uh, for your money, Reacher or Raw? 
<laughs> well, that's, I mean, I don't have to even answer that question, but, <laughs> but with that, I like Reacher so much that I could have watched the eighth episode, the season finale last night, and I decided to wait tonight when I wouldn't be tired after AEW just to watch it because I've been loving it. I will say I knew, uh, okay, spoiler alert, you've got four seconds, three, two, two one. I knew that FBI agent was dirty. There was no way that this guy was involved and they were showing him constantly. And, oh, I have to leave you, but you're (laughs) going to be sick. I've brought you to a cabin to seclude you from other people, (laughs) but I'm going to leave you now because I have to go somewhere and I'm going to leave you with a gun. Right. So it's like, okay, of course this guy's dirty, which I knew. And then of course it came up that he was dirty again. I haven't seen the season finale, so I'm sure this is going to be tied up. I'm very excited. Excellent recommendation based off of last week's episode. I jumped in after we recorded the same day and I'm basically done at this point, but what a, what a fun show Jeff Reacher is. Yes, absolutely. So as we do, sometimes we wandered, Yes. Getting back to AW and your thoughts on uh, the AW show. Sorry, folks. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it started out great. I think MJF continues to be the best heel that we've seen in years. He just has it down. He's uh, It's just natural for him. Solid performer in the ring, but his true calling is his persona. This is he is he is latched on to gold and he delivers and uh, more power to him. He also had a full out makeout session. With the young ladies, yes. you happen to catch almost it. like an uncomfortably, uh, uh, oh, it <laughs> just like, you know, the, the fact that they were so involved in front of like all these people, it was, it, it wasn't just a kiss. It wasn't even a passionate kiss. As you said, it was a full makeout session. Oh yeah. There were tongues and you could see it. And I wondered my first thought it, when it's over, the look on her face was one of amazement. I don't know if you saw it, but <laughs> there was a certain look on her face, and MJF should be playing that up like no one's business. I did wonder if that was potentially his girlfriend, but th- this was a uh, 20 to 30 second tongue-inducing makeout session. She was very attractive. She was a ginger, but very attractive. Can women be gingers, or are they just redheads, Jeff? How does that go? Oh, uh, no. Um- as I've been uh, taught by my kids, uh, they are in fact uh, gingers, and uh, they therefore are. they're they're damned for eternity. Uh, that's what okay. my daughter taught me. Yeah, go ahead. Gotcha. The opening tag match, which would have been CM Punk, uh, I don't know if it was the and John Moxley versus FTR, fantastic. FTR too. So this was interesting as I was watching this last night, and I was enjoying pizza. As this I had a pizza place. last night, too. Uh, thank you, Bruce Cohen, for letting us know that it was National Pizza Day yesterday. Uh, so. Absolutely. Jeff, what was on your pizza last I night? I went with the uh, the sausage uh, and uh, and cheese. Yeah, pretty basic uh, fare. Gotcha. I, I had pepperoni and onion, and uh, it's a new pizza place. Only the second time I've been there, I would give it a solid eight, which is really good considering most pizzas locally. I thought it was a great tag match. And I'll tell you, FTR, this is the one thing that struck me. There was a lot of comparisons, obviously, to the Midnight Express. And not just their theme song. Well, it's the theme song. It's the trunks. It's the references that are made by the announcers and all this. And and honestly, I think I think what's missing there are either I can definitely see the comparisons and agree with a lot of it. What's missing is the personality, you know, between Jim Cornette and Tully Blanchard's no Jim Cornette, not even close, but, you know, Stan Lane, Bobby, Dennis Condry, 
versus these other two guys, Dax and I, I don't I Dash and Dax. I don't know what I always forget Cash. what name. Cash and Dax and Dash. I don't fucking know. It's like it's like the Rudolph and the Red. I don't know. In any case, they almost never exhibit. It's the first time I think they've ever been compared to Rudolph. By the way, just so. Dash and Cash and <laughs> what the fuck? It's like it's like the three stood. Any case, they came out last night and they had a personality. Did you catch? They're wearing yeah, I did. suits yeah. and they're they're gesturing. That's all these guys are missing. If these guys can develop big personalities or if they're given a mouthpiece. And honestly, Dan Lambert, I think, would be the guy. Tully's not the right guy, in my opinion. He's too laid back and too reserved. And then speaking of that, the botched GTS where Punk couldn't get Tully up on his shoulders last night. And, and that had me wondering the conversation in the back. Punk and Tully are talking. Punk saying, Tully, would you be able to get on my shoulders? Because I'm going to give you the GTS. Tully's like, no problem. And then 70-year-old Tully couldn't get on Punk's shoulders. And Punk, you know, Punk's I thought you were going to say guy. a 70-year-old Tully couldn't get it up. But, uh, you know, I digress. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to get my ass kicked if we ever run into him. <laughs> he was a nice guy, actually, when we, uh, when we interviewed him. And then I got to meet him right after. He was a very friendly guy. But Punk actually is looking better every week. He has gotten to the point now where he looks good. John Moxley is solid in the ring. That was a really good match. But Jeff, let's talk about that main event Texas death match between the murder Hawk Lance Archer versus hangman cowboy shit. Adam page. What'd you think of that match? Very, very good brawl. Uh, as you and I were discussing before we began recording, but what happened to Texas death matches where it was come as you are? You know, uh, people would show up with uh, the cowboy boots, uh, especially since we're talking about cowboy shit, uh, cowboy boots, the jeans, the belt with the buckle, you know, uh, the tape fist. Does that not exist anymore or only in the garbage wrestling uh, promotions? Yeah, it, it's all it, I thought it was interesting because I was actually really excited to see a real Texas death match on television until the rules were announced. And you're like, oh, so it's just essentially like a lights out match almost in a sense, like, like or a no, no DQ match, you no know. DQ. Like there's like, there's just not much here with it. The old Texas death that you said, come as you are, show up boots, jeans. It didn't matter. And then it was, they would go multiple falls until somebody couldn't stand any longer until yeah. it was a 10. Yeah, prepare to bleed, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. So with that, I was disappointed. That being said, Jeff, it was a really Good match for it was television. It was very good, yeah. And I don't think Lance Archer, who's somebody I've never cared about, he looked very good last night. There was a couple of spots that were f between the two of them that I thought somebody was going to get killed. They both were bleeding, not just from their heads, but their bodies. You could see Archer's back, and uh, he had just multiple cuts all over his back. But let's talk about the Adam Page bloodletting. It looked to me, and I, maybe correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jeff, it looked to me like this was not a blade job unless he bladed on his eyebrow because he wasn't bleeding from the forehead, which traditionally wrestlers do. He looked to be bleeding either the eye, the eyebrow, but all that blood was pooling up in his eye and affecting. And you could look at, at the one side of his face. I believe it was the right side and his beard the blood was caked into his beard. It was in his hair. He was a mess. They didn't stop it. And I thought at one point they might be stopping. But what do you think? Do you think this was actual hard way? 
You know, I will only say I, I, I don't really know to answer your question, number one. Number two, that's about as much blood as you've seen on a national broadcast. And I don't even know how long. I mean, it was kind of like almost crazy blood, you know, where it was just like you got to the point where you were starting to feel yeah, a little bit uncomfortable. He was bleeding that much, you know. Oh, absolutely, too. He was. And I, I thought they were going to actually stop the match, being that it was a main event of a uh, of a big wrestling show. I, I guess they decided not to. But that that was a lot of blood. Murder Hawk also bleeding. But that that came across to me as standard wrestling blood. Sure. Uh, yeah. In some sense. But good match. There were some spots that I think could have ended a career. Adam. Yeah. Page, the, let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the drop. Uh, with, uh, it used to be the old, uh, razor Ramon move with the, uh, I, I know in Japan, I think they used to call it something like the, uh, oh God, the women used to do it in Japan. It was like the ocean city cyclone or something like that, where you have the guy up over your, over your head with his arms outstretched. And then you drop him. I know razor Ramon used to do it too. Uh, but doing it on the ring steps, the way they did with Adam page was, it was pretty uncomfortable watching that, you know? It was, it was, there was a couple, there was the spot where Adam page was flying out of the ring unprotected and uh murder Hawk met him with the, the lid of a garbage can. And I know that there's a little bit of give to those, but at the same time, I yeah. just went, Holy shit. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I, worried that guy's going to really fuck his back up. Something serious taking these bumps, you know, it almost, and, and to, to that, I, I agree with you. And I'm glad you brought that up. It almost appears he's taking the Cody Rhodes uh, viewpoint and that he's going to, he has to prove how tough he is. And he has to prove that he needs to be your champion because he has taken from, from Brian Danielson. I mean, my God, he laid it out in those matches, this match with Lance Archer. He just completely laid it out. I don't know if this stuff with Adam Cole is going to be as physically brutal as what we saw, but I, I got to give page credit. If you would have told me going into AEW that Adam page was going to be a credible world champion. I don't know if I would have been able to agree with that, Jeff. Yeah. And you have to give, uh, whether it's Adam page, whether it's Tony Khan, whether it's somebody else, uh, you have to give him credit because they've established him as a credible world champion, you know, and you're right. Probably going in, you wouldn't have said, yeah, that's the guy that we're going to give the belt with and have him run with it. It would have been very easy for them to give it to one of the, I hate to put it this way. One of the WWE castoffs, and just, you know, give him the world title. No, they instead used those guys and guys like Lance Archer, let's be honest, to give this guy the rub. And it's working, you know, because uh, they're making him a world champion. Now, I will say, as much as I, I'm a fan of Dan Lambert, the manager, Jake Roberts, really, at this point, he shouldn't be at ringside. Because uh, that seeing Jake try to move around at ringside... It's just like I'm thinking that's an accident waiting to happen, you know, where somebody bumps into him accidentally or does a spot and hits him. And, you know, it could lead to some kind of injury just because I don't think he has the ability to get out of the way. No, I would agree. When he did that uh, short clothesline deal that he does, which he set up for it to be done. I mean, it, the setup was even a little bit painful. It looked OK. It popped the ringsiders, but. He does appear. And I, I thought at one point when he got involved and then the murder hawk kind of shoved him up against the ring and was admonishing him that maybe we were seeing where he's going to just go on his own and just do this on his own. 
Dan Lambert, as much as I like him, uh, which is really his mic skills, did nothing for that match, offered absolutely nothing. And I don't really understand why Dan Lambert is with the Murder Hawk. I, I you know, the only thing I can say is it's got to be just because of certain limitations that Jake has. And even, you know, as much as, you know, people have always said that Jake got a, one of the sharpest minds for the business, for how to manipulate a crowd and to, uh, you know, back in the day, he had that innate feeling that great wrestlers had for, you know, the ebb and flow of, a, uh, of the fans and how to get them to follow your lead, whether it's as a babyface or a heel. He really was great at that. And I'm sure he still has that. but. Physically, he's a mess. You can see that. And, you know, he's had some health issues recently. I'm not putting the boots to him that way. But even, like, the other thing that was he was great at, which was his mic skills, his voice is, like, so yeah. just, you know, like, rah, rah, where you can barely understand him because his voice is so shot. So you're wondering, other than, like, behind the scenes where he can offer advice to guys, hey, you know, maybe do it this way or or give Tony Khan, you know, some advice on, you know, this is where I would take this character. And, you know, that I could understand having him there. But in front of the camera, I'm not sure that Jake really does a lot for you anymore. I have to agree. I don't think he really does. I think in person it could be different. But I think when the camera is on, I don't think Jake needs to be out there. And um, but. Overall, I would say this was an excellent match. It was a great way to uh, to cap off what I thought was a, a very entertaining show, a very non-boring show. What did you think? And, and I know we talked about this off air, but uh, they had two women's matches. It was Jade Cargill with her manager, Smart Mark Sterling, facing off against somebody making their AEW debut, which is a young lady who apparently had been trained by Booker T named AQA. And then there was a match immediately following between one of my favorite wrestlers currently. And I think certainly Jim Ross and uh, Tony Schiavone love her because they keep calling her one of the best wrestlers on the planet, uh, which is Serena Deeb versus a young lady whose name escapes me. My only contention with those two matches, and we can certainly get as in-depth as you want to with those, was why would you have those two matches back to back, though? If you're going to feature two women's matches, why not break them up a little bit? Why would you put them back to back? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> I was thinking about the women's match. Hey, talk about grinding a show to a halt that is moving along at a great clip. Eh, let me just be clear. I'm not trying to put the boots to all the ladies in AEW, I'm not trying to put the boots to the women that work uh, in different parts of the country or the world. But that being said, Jade Cargill has lots of potential. Okay. She's got a great physical look to her. Okay. I think at some point she's going to be really good. She's not there yet and not by a long shot. Okay. But they put her in that position. They've made her their, yeah, I know she's not. I, what are the two belts? I know. Britt Baker has one and she's got one. But anyway, my problem was they put her in with somebody who was relatively inexperienced and that's not making the best use of your champion, you know, to put her in with someone, you need to have Jade Cargill getting matches. If you're going to put her on the main show, put her in with somebody that has the ability to make her look good. 
Am I completely out of bounds there? No, that's so. That was a big booking issue. Uh, it, again, take and again, I I I'm a huge uh, self self uh, described huge AEW fanboy. I love the products that they put out, but we should also say, look, not everything is perfect, and we can talk about it. Jade Cargill has first off, she's gotten a lot better in the ring compared to where she used to be. I I couldn't have predicted she would be this good. And I know that there was a lot of jokes yesterday that people were making, but apparently Brian Danielson is spending time training her. Yes, she's not Brian Danielson. Uh, we get that. She also. Well, that's, uh, a, that's a great person to train her, though, because. Of course it is. You know. But people were still like somehow they, you know, the people that hate AEW and just want to crank on it. We're Wait, still we, finding we, we have people that hate AEW. Wow, that's completely. Well, uh, there are. Facebook groups devoted to people that hate AEW, which I can't understand because it's such a great alternative to the shit coming out of Connecticut. But but I digress, Jeff. But with that, Jade Cargill, if she is in with the right opponent, can be led to a decent match. And certainly she's physically impressive. There's so much positive upside about her. But they put her in with somebody that was making their debut who uh, even the announcer said, does she look a little scared? She looks intimidated, right? And she did. And uh, she essentially was getting her ass beat. Did a couple, did a uh, shooting star press, which I thought was decent. Did a couple of of maneuvers that were okay, but she was outclassed from the get-go. I I don't know if she's going to have much of a future in AEW because in some ways it's almost like she was buried last night. There also looked to be Jeff, a point when they were they had stopped cooperating with each other and Cargill I believe was getting clearly frustrated with her but some of the shots that were being laid in appeared to be very stiff I may be wrong on that but uh it looked like frustrations were coming out and they were kind of going to town on each other in a different way the second match which featured Serena Deeb again against a newbie that I what do, don't What do you mean in a different way I, <laughs> is, there, is there a different way they could have gone to town on one another? There is, and I, I didn't think you wanted to open up that door. <laughs> that's the forbidden door, Jeff, right yes, there. Uh, truly that's, the forbidden door. Yes, that's the one that Tony Khan talks about. <laughs> but the second match with Serena Deeb, she instituted, I think it was the professor's challenge. I don't know exactly what she was calling it. Where she Pete was, Letterberg had something to do with the booking? He might have. Pete, Pete might have. And Serena's now doing the five-minute challenge. It took her a minute to uh, beat her opponent. And I got to tell you, I boy, I love watching Serena Deeb work. Boy, I, I just love it. Well, let me just get back one last time to the Jade Cargill thing. So you have someone that you're trying to put over as this unstoppable young force, okay? And we talked about you put her with someone who does not enhance her, okay? Because... Hey, it's not necessarily the fault of the opponent because they're very new. Now, if you put her in with someone who's experienced and she looks bad, that's on the uh, the experienced person. However, let's talk about, since we haven't discussed it yet, the fact they put Isaac Cassidy in with Keith Lee. And that was an example. And I'm not, I'm not saying that Isaac Cassidy is this 20-year vet, but that was an example of a guy that made someone's debut completely memorable because it established Keith Lee as this force, this monster. And yet I think Isaiah Cassidy really came off in defeat 
looking really good. And, and I'll tell you the first thing I thought of, and I know this is going back a, a long time here, but we've mentioned it on this show once at least before, the debut of Terry Funk on TBS after they had done the angle in Nashville with Flair, where he comes on and it's Terry Funk's first appearance on WCW. I think we're talking like uh, mm, middle of May, 1989. They put him in with a young guy to basically put over Terry Funk, make him look good, bump his ass off. And it made that young guy, his name was Eddie Guerrero. And to me, uh, I'm not comparing Isaiah Cassidy to Eddie Guerrero as far as you know their abilities and potential, but I'm saying Isaiah Cassidy came out of that match last night with Keith Lee looking like a guy that, number one, that, that lost, did not hurt him at all. And in my mind, it enhanced him the way that the match with Terry Funk enhanced Eddie Guerrero. What do you think of that, Bear? Yeah, I. so if you're right about Isaiah Cassidy. I think his future is going to be as a single star. He is incredible. I got to tell you, I love the entrance for Private Party where they uh, they have to go through and the guy the ropes, moves the yeah. rope. Yeah, and then he handed funny. the guy he handed the guy some money. Which I, was great. <laughs> yeah, was I was like, I love that. And then he gets in the ring and he doesn't disappoint. The yeah. truth is Keith Lee is, it, I, I'm really happy that you did bring this up because Keith Lee is the one that's getting all the attention today. Let's be honest, Isaiah Cassidy was the guy that made that match. Say what you want, he was. And, you know, I happen to see on Twitter, a uh, friend of the show, Sean Waltman, former guest, showed a clip of uh, back in the, like, I thought I want to say it was 1995 when he was the one, two, three kid, him taking a beal from Ahmed Johnson where Ahmed Johnson almost threw him out of the ring, uh, you know, from one side of the ring, almost threw him out of the ring. And he was comparing what had happened to him with the move that Keith Lee did. And he was saying that, you know, he goes, our, our rings were smaller, I believe. And that's why, you know, I ended up going into the ropes. But, you know, I, I feel like if Sean Waltman is complimenting your game, that's, that's pretty high praise. Yeah, it is too. Exactly. And Sean Waltman's a guy that would know. And again, that he was a, uh, a guy that was a great guest on our show. Uh, what about that tag match, Jeff? We did talk off air. It was FTR versus CM Punk and John Moxley. What did you think about that match? Yeah. Absolutely no complaints at all, other than the uh, Tully Blanchard uh, blown spot <laughs> for for the uh, for the GTS. Yeah. But um, you know, Tully. Let's talk about Tully. Tully, I'm sure the rub from a former Horseman, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, uh, gave them a nice little rub. But I think you're right. They need to have somebody uh, who's part of the act that can really not the team. But the act, take it to a different level. And whether that's, you know, giving them that MJF rub or giving them, as you said, to Dan Lambert uh, to have Dan talk for him, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, I think that uh, I'm not sure that Tully really gives them the requisite rub that they need at this point. He did at the beginning. And quite frankly, you know, being honest, you wonder how much longer Arn Anderson at ringside uh, is really going to, you know, at some point physically, these guys just can't go anymore. They can't be at ringside. They're, they're not taking bumps. So really, what do they provide for you on camera? What do you think? I So I, as much as I have always loved Arn Anderson, he needs to be off camera. Jake Roberts needs to be off camera. I think Tully, I think there could be a place for Tully. 
But what FTR needs is a really solid mouthpiece, a guy that can cut a promo. I mean, Jim Cornette, which everybody has talked about, he would be the natural. Of course, uh, yes. To lead that team. But I, I guess we don't see that happening. But so who else could do it? Could Dan Lambert, uh, a, a guy that you've interacted with, Jeff, could Dan Lambert come in? Could he provide that? Who is the right individual that could lead that team? I, you know, honestly, I don't, as you put me on the spot here, I, there's nobody that goes, oh, that, that's the guy. Because, you know, Dan Lambert, I don't know if Dan is, you know, because we've really never seen it. Is Dan a guy that can take bumps? You know, he doesn't need to be Bobby Heenan, but, you know, he has to have that ability when the baby face is making their comeback and uh, Dan screws them somehow to take the punch or to uh, be flipped into the ring, you know, and, and do something. I don't know whether or not Dan is willing to do that or capable of doing that, quite frankly. Yeah. And I just don't know who else uh, I would put out there. Possibly they could wind up with MJF and maybe have MJF do the talking for them because he certainly is amazing on the stick. How long will the Wardlow tease be drawn out? And the reason I ask is it, it is super clear to even Helen Keller and Ray Charles at this point that he's going to turn. That's a timely reference for all of you. Well, okay. So I'm trying to think <laughs> who would, <laughs> who's, who's blind currently, Jeff. And it, I can make uh, it. Uh, how about we go Marilee Maitland uh, for the Marley for the Matlin. Uh, Marley yeah, for, Matlin. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm not sure Marley about the uh, Maitland. I like that. Or that, you know, either <laughs> one. Good. Yeah. But okay. So Marley, but she isn't blind actually. She's deaf. Well, she's so. deaf. Yeah. So yeah. She fills that qualification. <laughs> There you go. But it's uh, it's at the <laughs> hold on a sec. Poor oh, I got you with that one. Hey, you did get me with that one. Now once in a while, you know, what are we talking about now. I have no idea. <laughs> funny though. It's the Marley Matlin episode. It's Marley Maitland who's <laughs> who's not even one. That's the best part. She's not even blind. Uh, that 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 made my day right there. So. Whatever we're, it wasn't as important as you just making me laugh like that. So I got to tell you that just, that completely well, just. You said, you said Ray Charles, who fills the blind uh, qualifications. For Helen Keller. And exactly. Helen Keller, who's deaf. Hello. Uh, all right. Let me do that. So Leroy McGurk could Thank you. It, okay? There we go. There's another At timely reference. It. Yes. But so he, the guy's going to wind up turning. The truth is there's, there, when I, when I say that, there probably is like five-year-olds in the audience that can clearly see Wardlow's going to turn. That's a better out. way of putting it. Yes, there is no, and but how long are they going to drag it out? What's And I'm trying to think in my head, because even CM Punk said it last night, are you going to be a man? Are you going to stand there with these two? And Wardlow's making the faces every time about, you know, it, it's all he does now is make he's all. Got, and I will say he, he got the faces down, you know, he's he does the good faces, down. you know, he's got people, people chanting his name. Maybe that's part of it too. Maybe is to get people fully on his side because as, as MJF is, is speaking and congratulating Sean Spears, the crowd's going Wardlow, Wardlow. They're solidly behind the guy. It's going to be a massive baby face whenever the turn comes. And I did think last night that was going to be CM Punk's partner, even though he had just wrestled. But as it saw, that was not the case. And it was John Moxley. But Wardlow, what do you what's we should start a pool maybe in the Facebook group on this one. When is this turn going to happen? Is this going to happen next week or will it happen in six months at this stage? Well, and, and here's an interesting question regarding that. Is there a possibility? 
And I'm trying to think of one that I can, that comes to mind where you wait too long to do the turn. It has to be, you know, you can't do it too soon and they haven't, but you also can't wait too long for the turn. What do you think about that bear? Absolutely. Because what will happen is if you do wait too long, nobody's going to give a shit anymore. And, and they, my feeling it's peaking right now it was peaking two weeks ago, peaking last week. It's peaking right now. If you wait another month uh, or two months, it may not. So they, they have to keep a handle on that. But I, I'm wondering in the grand scheme of things, what the payoff is going to be. Clearly he's going to turn. I'm going to guess he may even join forces with punk which would give punk that would make, you know, that would actually a good thing for punk as well. When does this happen though? And, and how, how soon is this going to take place? And the great thing is, is basically punk can do most of the work in the ring. You can have the big man tag in to do all right. the power spots. Punk can talk for the guy, you know? Uh, yeah. That's, that's actually a really good idea. Barry, how cool is this? We are joined today by not only Hall of Famer, the man that Roddy Piper used to call AC Baby, it's Bob Orton. Bob, how you doing today, my man? Oh, shoot, I'm doing okay, thank you. Yeah, we're real happy to join us. Barry, a legend. A legend, and I gotta say too, so I, I was really lucky, Jeff, growing up in the state of Florida, that I got to see Bob when he first started, which would have been around 1972, and then he came back in 1976, and Bob came into the state. I believe he had come in from Georgia and uh, was getting this really kind of small push, nothing crazy. And then all of a sudden, Bob Orton Jr. is the guy in the state. He's the Florida champion. He's half of the Florida tag team champions. And he, his father, the late Bob Orton Sr. and Bob, Bob Roop, a guy that we've had on our podcast before as well, they basically control the state for the better part of a year. Really exciting time to be a fan. So I'm thrilled to have Bob with us today, Jeff. Yeah. So, Bob, I'm going to start off the questions. I'm going to try to hit you with something that you haven't, if you've been asked this before, I can't imagine it's been a lot. Bob, you, you spent time in Japan. You wrestled in all Japan. I, I watched a match yesterday with you against Jumbo Saruta. Uh, Barry might have a slight man crush on Jumbo. But then you also spent some time in New <laughs> Japan. Can you tell us, what did you find is the difference between working all Japan and New Japan when you would go on tours over there? Oh, gosh. You know, really, there wasn't any difference. Just I mean, did just you like working that. for one better than the other? Uh, not really. They were both great. Yeah. yeah. Very polite, very good. Treated you like a king. You know, it's just uh, I was never really loyal to anybody. And, 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 and if someone made an offer that that I thought was good, you know, I'd go. Yeah. So let me ask you, and uh, I believe it was 1987, you were over there with Carl Moffat as part of the Gaspar brothers. Do you remember being a Gaspar brother? Yeah. 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 It was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you like uh, Carl is a guy that he worked in Calgary's Jason, the terrible. And before he had a really bad car accident, I thought was a really solid, good working big man. Uh, you enjoyed your time working with Carl? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. He was a lot of fun to be around. And I think the Gaspar, I, I, I want to say it was a, a pirate gimmick of some sort because we've got the big event that takes place in Tampa, which is actually currently yeah. happening right now, Gasparilla. Yeah, sure. So I, I think they were. So here's a question because I've done a lot of research on Bob's career, especially the early years. Bob, do you remember your first match? I believe it took place in the state of Florida. Do you remember what town and who you worked with? 
I think Orlando with George McCreary. That's what I had. So I had George McCreary. And as it goes, George McCreary, not a guy that got a lot of wins, actually got a win that night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was easy to beat back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, one of the things uh, you uh, you teamed up with, uh, as Barry said, Bob Roop. Uh, you had so many great partners. Was there one guy that you, you know, look back and you remember, wow, that was the guy that I enjoyed being partners with, you know, as far as the way that we worked in the ring together. And one guy stand out over the rest of them? Well, uh, being with Piper was was a lot of fun. Uh, now, was that more fun moment. in the ring or the stuff you did outside the ring? The stuff we did outside the ring. And it was fun <laughs> being in there with Roddy, too. But. Yeah. Yeah. So but, it led uh, me it led me to the question since we brought up Piper's name. As I started thinking about some of the guys, uh, not just that you teamed with, but that you you know you spent time in a locker room with. So I came up with these five names, and what I wanted to get from you was out of these five guys: Roddy Piper, Dick Slater, Dick Murdoch, Ric Flair, and Herb Abrams. <laughs> Where would you rate them on the crazy meter? Like guys that you went out knowing that it was going to be an insane night out. Oh, Who would Herb be was number completely one there? crazy. Who's that? Uh, Herb Abrams was completely crazy. You know, very nice guy, but but he got a little bit, I don't know, carried away there for a while, I guess. Just just a t- uh, just a tad, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Slater was. Just a good uh, a guy, a solid guy. Uh, Bob Roop and I were together probably as long as anybody. Yeah. What about Murdoch? Uh, oh, Murdoch was <laughs> Murdoch was Murdoch. He's yeah. a lot of fun to be around. Yeah, great character. Uh, Flair. Yeah, we were partners in Japan. A lot. Sure. No, no, absolutely. And Flair. And Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. Flair's a lot of fun. Uh, great guy. And then, and then last Piper. Oh gosh, you can't, you know, you just can't beat Roddy. Yeah. Uh, I think in the years I was with him, I never said a word. <laughs> I just looked at the Roddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, we are excited to have Cowboy Bob Orton. He'll always be Bob Orton Jr. to me. And that's because I was there in Florida and I saw the rise of, uh, of Bob, but let's give a plug out. Uh, Brought to us by our good friend Nick Massey of Captain's Corner. Bob making three appearances over a weekend. Coming up starting on the 26th of February, which is a Saturday. Uh, Saturday or, or Saturday is the new, as I like to call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm learning English. It's, uh, it's, it's happening. This is taking place in Natick. I believe it's Natick, Massachusetts. It is taking place at uh, the Natick Mall which is in off of Worcester Street. Bob will be there. It's an in-store appearance. The store is called Heroes Hideout. Bob will be there starting at 12 p.m. If you can't make it out to this appearance in Massachusetts, the same night through our good friend, Captain Nick Massey, the Captain's Corner Happy Hour starting at 8 p.m. on the 26th, you could get a virtual signing Bob will sign items live. Uh, he will uh, inscribe these to your name. These are great. I try to join everyone that Nick does, even if it's for a few minutes, to just watch the interaction with everybody. It's a lot of fun. And then the next day, which is the 27th, this is taking place at Zombie Hideout, which I think is in Springfield, Massachusetts. 
taking place from 12 to 3. Jeff, how is this for a Hall of Fame Sunday? You don't just have Cowboy Bob Orton. You have the former WWF champion Bob Backlund, as Mm. well as Tony Atlas. All three will be at that store. So we encourage you, support Bob, support our friend Nick Massey. If you can't make it out to one of these two locations, whether Springfield or Natick, Massachusetts, join them online. These things are a lot of fun. Absolutely. My question to Bob, and this came to me via Jerry Briscoe, you had really (laughs) this, exactly, I did reach out to Jerry, and he told me this great story about you, and uh, this was about your time in 1976. You came back to Florida, late 1975, they paired you with Carl Von Steiger, they, that lasted two or three weeks, they shipped Von Steiger out of the state. And then you got this meteoric push and you wound up beating Jack Briscoe for the Florida title. You had been in the business for four years at that point. Jack Briscoe's credentials, I could sit here for the next hour. I still wouldn't be able to list them all. And I spoke with Jerry about this. And Jerry said that was actually Jack's idea, that Jack saw you, thought so much of you as a worker with only four years experience that he actually went to the office and recommended that he lose the title uh, to you. Do you remember that? And what was your thought process at the time when that was taking place? Well, it was just, you know, pretty darn big deal. And I was just, just overwhelmed, but, uh, Jack helped break me in. Uh, he used to come down there. He didn't have to come down, uh, to the sportatorium one morning a week, but he did. I think he had a lot of respect for my dad. And uh, uh, Jack really helped me my first uh, uh, five or six years in the business. Jack was always, he was always there, you know, putting in a plug for me. And, and he was just a great guy, Jack. You know, I really miss him. I'd have to say uh, that when you think about the guys that you worked with that were all time, you know, like, it, People come up with top 10 lists, top five lists, whatever. Like when you think about the five best guys that you were in the ring with, I would have to say Jack Briscoe has to be up there with, with the rest of them. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, what an incredible talent. Well, let me ask you, uh, taking it slightly different direction, uh, every week on our show, we do uh, a match of the week where we look back, uh, you know, sometimes going into the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, uh, up until today, and we, we talk about a match and we, we break it down and look at it. So it just so happens, very huge coincidence, I know you'll agree, that this week's match of the week is a Bob Orton Jr. match. But what are the odds of that happening, Barry? <laughs> yeah. oh, I think they were pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I'm going on uh, doing the old YouTube deep dive, and I'm looking at a, a couple matches of yours from the past. Uh, I saw a match with you and Murdoch from New Orleans oh, in 1989. <laughs> uh, I, I watched the match, uh, as I mentioned previously, with you and Jumbo Saruta uh, when you were in All Japan. But the match I picked out, and it's in part because I don't think we've ever done a match from this promotion, and it's one of those promotions that a lot of people have forgotten about. It's a match you had at ICW uh, on the television. We were thinking it must have been about 1981-ish in that general time frame with you and Pez Watley. So, number one, what do you remember about Pez? And number two, when you look back in your time with ICW, what are your are your memories favorable? Or are you like, oh God, I couldn't get a wait to get away from it? Like, what, what do you remember about uh, those things? Oh, I remember we tried real, real hard to uh, 
uh, get the company going, you know, it was tough. You know, we had a lot of uh, established uh, the competition that was already there. So, you know, it was tough. But then again, you know, it's a learning experience. Yeah. And what about Pez? And, uh, oh, Pez is a heck of a hand. Bear. Yeah, Pe- yeah Pez, Pez was a guy, too, as I, uh, I don't think he ever got what he deserved in a sense because the, here was a guy that was a uh, an AAU champion so he was a uh, an amateur trained wrestler as well solid in the ring just for whatever reason I don't think he was ever used correctly by uh, promoters but but yeah so your your tag team with 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 Roop when you guys were in the state of Florida and your father played a huge part in that that was such a great angle where your dad came into the state and they played it off as you know, your dad was coming in to check on his son because he's been hearing these stories of uh, hanging out with the wrong people and doing the wrong things. <laughs> and then your dad gets to the state and he's determined that, no, his son's doing all the right things, that it's Eddie Graham and Mike Graham that are uh, doing things incorrectly. But uh, I guess it's a two part question and part of it's an observation Working with your dad at this stage had to be a thrill because you guys were getting this huge push. And we asked you, you were at the CWF Legends Fan Fest uh, a couple of years back, which myself and Jeff are a part of. And you were with Roop there. And you guys, there were some great angles. There was Roop underneath a mask at one point as the gladiator. And then you actually, as part of the angle, gave your dad the tag belt just so you could focus on working as a single and defending the Florida title. So what was it like being put, I believe this was your biggest push to date. I know you had gotten a push in Georgia with Dick Slater as part of the Georgia tag champions, but what was it like getting this first really big push and let alone working side by side with your father every night? Oh, it was fantastic. Dad, uh, dad always thought was one of the best ever and still do. Uh, uh, he got more out of doing nothing than anybody I've ever seen. He, you know, he moved his little finger and meant something. It's a lost art, but, uh, uh, to be teamed with, uh, your father, you know, who could ask for anything. There's nothing better than that. And, uh, and I learned an awful lot, you know, being in the ring with him and watching him work. So, yeah, I was just, uh, I got a positive. Everything was positive. Yeah, and you guys, it's uh, again. This this was such a great a great run that you had, which lasted well over a year. Started in late '75, and I think went to the spring of '77, which in the territory days is a really nice run when you're going almost a year and a half, which is great. Your father too, and I'm going to reference this, and then I want to ask you about that. Your father is considered royalty, not just in professional wrestling, but in Tampa. And I know that he was part of a group that included uh, Hans Mortier, the great Malenko and Eduardo Perez, that the four of them were just the best of friends. Do you feel, and the reason I asked this question, I've already got an opinion and an answer on it. Your dad is one of those that doesn't get his, his just, his just due. He's a name that when the Orton name is mentioned, it's either yourself or it's your son, Randy Orton, currently, who's still a top star in the Federation. But your dad is almost lost to history. Makes no sense to me. Whether your dad was a big star as Rocky Fitzpatrick 
going back from capital sports in the 60s. But his runs in Florida alone to me were Hall of Fame worthy runs. Why do you Zodiac. think the Zodiac? Absolutely. Yeah. Which was another great run. What kind of memories? I mean, growing up as the son of a professional wrestler, what's your earliest memory of your dad wrestling? Oh, he used to take me to the matches all the time when I was a little kid. And then, uh, he, uh, when I started wrestling amateur, he was, uh, a, uh, a kind of coach, I guess he, uh, you might say mentor might be a better word, but, uh, dad was always there. And, and, uh, he took me to the matches a lot when I was a little kid. So, so, you know, you see that stuff and you don't know you're learning, but you are. Do you, do you but, really uh, think, uh, last question about your dad, do you think your dad taught you more, uh, when you look back on it about the physical aspect of, uh, pro wrestling or the mental aspect, like how to work a crowd and that kind of stuff? Mental. Mental. Okay. Yeah. I so, think both, but, but more mental. Yeah. So my last question for you, Bob, you know, you're a guy, we mentioned you've been to Japan multiple times. You worked, uh, in WWF, uh, you worked, uh, in mid Atlantic, Florida, Georgia, uh, mid South ICW. What, when you think back about it, what was the best building you ever worked in where like you got there and you were like, man, this, this place, this is, this is a uh, big time here. Uh, yeah. And I know that the easy answer would be Madison square garden because you know, maybe that's where everybody wanted to get, but is there a, another place other than Madison square garden, you know, maybe like a Greensboro Coliseum or Charlotte Coliseum or St. Petersburg, the Bayfront center that you remember really being like, wow, this is a great building. Oh, I guess the armory. In, okay. Uh, for Tampa, Florida. Yeah. That's I mean, cause, you know, because that's where, I grew up kind of watching Dad and Eddie Graham and and stuff back in the day, and and uh, uh, lived in Tampa a lot. So, so Tampa was probably one of my favorite places to work. Yeah, which also for me would be exciting too. We were we were actually scheduled to have one of our fan fests last year. We were moving from the hotel that we're normally at, which is in Lutz. And we were going to be uh, at the old armory, which has been renovated and it's part of a JCC now. And then, of course, COVID hit and all that. It was just completely scrapped. But I was really excited just based off of the history. Let's give another plug, Jeff, if we can. So on on with us today. And if you're just joining us, we have Cowboy Bob Barton. Of course, if you're just joining us, where have you been? Because you're missing a great discussion about uh, the history of professional wrestling. But Bob will be making three appearances for our old friend, Nick Massey, the captain captain's corner. First one taking place Saturday, February 26th, taking place at heroes hideout in Natick, Massachusetts. Maybe it's Natick, Massachusetts. I can't pronounce some of those names, Jeff. This starts at 12. We encourage all of our listeners. If you're within driving distance, show up. Bob is a friendly guy. He was at our CWF legends fan fest a couple of years back, very friendly, very approachable, and he will be there later that night. He'll be doing one of the virtual signings, Captain's Corner Happy Hour. That'll be starting at 8 o'clock. Sometimes these things go for two or three hours. As long as people want to get autographed merchandise, whether it's photos or memorabilia, whatever it is, they will continue with this. We encourage you, if you can't make one of these live appearances, Join Bob online. We'll be posting a link in our Facebook group. And lastly, coming up on the 27th, which would be the next day, 
Sunday the 27th between 12 and 3 in Springfield, Massachusetts at Zombie Hideout. It is a Hall of Fame Sunday. Joining Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. will be former WWF heavyweight champion Bob Backlund and Mr. USA, the man who laughs, uh, 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 Tony Atlas. <laughs> he will be there. <laughs> I had to get that out. That was a very good impression. I appreciate that. I've been practicing that. Uh, He will be there as well. We encourage everybody. So, Bob, as we begin to wrap up, and we do want to thank you uh, for joining us today, I am going to ask you a question that I am stealing 100% from my partner and friend, Jeffrey Wayne Baldrin. How dare you? Well, I figured this would be the right way, Jeff. And then, of course, I know what you're going to do right next when I steal this question. Bob, you're walking down an alley. There are six guys coming your way. They're all six, five and muscular. Who would you want by your side? If you could pick one name, top one, one guy who you consider maybe the toughest guy you've ever known. Who do you want right by your side? Oh gosh, I guess Don Morocco when he weighed over 300. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's good. You know, I don't know if we've had Morocco before. So, you know, you know, Barry, as I was thinking back about, uh, about Bob, about his son, about his father, you think about it, you, you have some family legacies that go back a long ways. This is not just uh, 60, 70 years that the Orton name has been part of the pro wrestling business. That's absolutely astounding. It's it's a credit not only to your dad, to you, and to your son for for keeping that name uh, in the main events in pro wrestling. Just absolutely amazing. And a real credit to your family, Bob. Uh, before we let you go, and don't forget my brother, you know well, Barry. That, of course, who also had the run as a Zodiac a, in Calgary. Yeah, he was a pretty good hand too. Yes, so he and, never he, really got a got a push except in Calgary. But when he got to push up there, he. Yeah. He tore him up, man. And he, he did a, had a great run with uh, the aforementioned Carl Moffat yeah. as Jason the Terrible up in Calgary. Yeah, I yeah. love this stuff. Yeah, 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 sure. So he was a guy, Barry, that had a, a lot of uh, influence on the very beginnings of the great Owen Hart. And, uh, you know, so uh, he gets, Barry gets all credit for that. Uh, I happened to notice when I was doing a little bit of research on your family that your dad uh, was great friends with Andre the Giant. We always like to ask people, but I know you were around Andre for a lot of your career. You got a quick Andre the Giant story? Because everybody seemingly has an Andre the Giant story. Yeah, he uh, uh, he dated my sister for a long, long time. Really? That's but, interesting. Uh, but he was over here at the house one day, and I got a gym downstairs in the basement, and we was getting ready to go down to the the gym and he grabbed a hold of handrail to go down the stairs and snap like a toothpick. <laughs> <laughs> but Andre was, was just, uh, you'd never meet a nicer man. Just a great, great man. Gotcha. So my, my last question, Bob, and I, I go back to, so I, again, grew up as a wrestling fan. I, I celebrated, even though I'm a young man, I celebrated my 50th year as a wrestling fan in last year in 2021, which I'm sure is uh, uh, hard for everyone to believe because I'm only in my thirties, but I used to have a magazine when I was a kid and I still may have this wrestling magazine. And it was about a wrestling show taking place at a, uh, a prison in Atlanta and you were on the card and you were wrestling in front of inmates. Do you remember this? Vaguely. I remember we went to a prison once and 
but I could not tell you anything about the prison or the show, really. But, but yeah, 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 I was there. Yeah, I want to say it was in Georgia. I want to say it was, took some place somewhere in Georgia, Mr. Wrestling yeah, I think, 2. I think it was about an hour from Atlanta, but but I can't remember the name of it or anything, but it was kind of weird when you go in there and they shut them doors. Boy. Yeah, I, yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to turn the heat up too high here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, hey, Bob, we want to first of all say thank you so much for joining uh, joining us today. We want to thank our friend Nick Massey once again for for helping us coordinate this interview, for talking about uh, your career uh, ever so briefly. Trust me, Bob, uh, it, the career that you've had, we could probably spend eh, another four hours or so. Uh, so we, you know, we've kind of had to compact it. You had a, a legendary career. So did your dad. So has your son and your brother, as you correctly uh, mentioned. Yeah. So uh, we do appreciate you doing this so, uh, so much. Thanks so much, my man. All righty, man. Uh, same goes to you. Appreciate it. And, and uh, you guys have a great day. Okay. So, Barry, I think in all the many years, and I can't believe we're saying that, Barry, many years that we've been doing uh, this Peabody and Sherman award-winning podcast, I don't know that we've ever hit ICW. Yes, International Championship Wrestling. And nothing says international like being from Frankfort, Kentucky. So, Barry, <laughs> this week we are talking about Bob Orton Jr. taking on the Piston Man, Pistol Pez Watley on ICW television. We got the Macho Man Randy Savage offering the color commentary. Uh, some of it a little sketchy, quite frankly, a little uncomfortable, uh, you know, some 40 years later. But, Barry, you've had a chance to watch this match. What would you think of the match? It's a, This is actually a really good match. I think partly what it, it's a good – at first, it's a good televised match. It's a sure. good match to put on television because it's going to showcase really two of your top talents. And these two were able to work extremely well together. Bob Orton Jr. was a guy – so I saw him in 1972 as a rookie – and I don't think I could have predicted just how great he would become. Four years later, he comes to the state and he's essentially the top dog in the state, he becomes the Florida heavyweight champion. He's beating guys like Jack Briscoe and Billy Robinson. So he had just this amazing run in working in the state, but it was earned. He was an amazing talent and you can catch parts of that during this match. Pistol Pez was a guy that if you remove it, to me, there were three things that hurt Pistol and four, if you count whatever Randy Savage says, right? but <laughs> yeah, I don't think we want to do that. We won't, but there are three things that really, in my opinion, hurt his career. And certainly politics is going to play a part of it. The old NWA, you know, they they had some issues, but Pez was not a guy who was overly tall. Pez was a guy that had weight issues. His weight could fluctuate where he would be really heavy and other times a little thinner. And I, I think that at some point, and I don't know where this came from, but the shucking and jiving, I think, is going to limit what you, how far you can go in your career, at least for my opinion, how far you, you know, you're going to be considered partly maybe comedy or something like that. I hated when he was Shaska. I hated the jive tones. I mean, that just said race relations back 50 years, the jive tones. 
and that was along with Tiger. I mean, you're Conley. saying calling a black team the Jive Tones oh. would not be acceptable uh, today, much it less shouldn't. It shouldn't much less acceptable. when it was actually going on. Yeah, it should. Even then, I knew it was bad. Even in 1986 <laughs> or 87, I knew that this was bad. And Tiger Conway Jr. is another guy that deserved better. It's a Tiger Conway was a guy also that had some weight issues at times and. Uh, but solid in the ring. And Pez, Pez had this really strong amateur background. And as I'm watching this match, the thoughts I have was if Pez was really in great shape, and I don't want to make it seem like Pez was this, you know, 300 pound Dusty Rhodes figure. He wasn't, but he was a guy that always had a stomach. He was a guy, and I think because he wasn't tall, he was putting on this, all this weight. But I think if Pez had really been in great shape, and concentrated on wrestling, I wonder if his career would have gone farther. My assumption is somebody gave him the the opposite advice that, you know, Pez, you want to do this gimmick. You want to because you're only going to go so far. I think the man was talented enough that without all this other bullshit, he could have become a real a real big name. Bob in this one is interesting because Bob, two things, Bob looks especially thin and I have to assume it's those really huge paydays from from yeah coming <laughs> from the from, Papos, uh, the, yeah. yeah coming from the senior Pafo right here that uh, yeah tried to that, say they were eating cans of tuna fish on the road. You tell me, but go back and look at at Bob in this match. And Bob was never a guy that was overweight. He always had a very thin build. My God, was he thin in this? He was almost like like my type of body type at that stage. I'm assuming that we know paydays were bad. We've heard the stories. Angelo Poffo didn't get the name, the miser by accident. Yeah. So uh, Lou pointing out that he was on the miser diet for uh, a few years. <laughs> right. Which I don't even, God knows what that consists of that. That's free meals somewhere, I think. But, and the other aspect, Bob had frosted the tips of his curls. I don't know if you caught that. But I did. I did. Bob having the very stylish hair in what appears to be 1981. With that, this is a really good match. I enjoy this match from start to finish. I think the 10 minutes it goes, 10 or 11 minutes is goes just long enough. I think it's a good ending. It's a it's a smart finish. Uh, I don't know if you noticed the chair shot. And again, that's got to be bad when you're picking up a non-foldable chair to smash somebody over the head, but I think he did crack Pez over the head with it. If you look, it hits him from behind, right? Like, I don't, yeah, unless Bob's got that feather touch with a a chair that's in a permanent fixed seated position, I would think that Pez actually wound up feeling that. I like this match. I like this match better than actually several matches we've actually reviewed recently. I think what I liked about this match, uh, and you referenced it there, I thought the finish of this match was really well done. Yeah. Uh, the, the way that, uh, you know, Savage jumps up on the ring apron to distract Pez and the referee. Uh, I like the fact that Orton comes in, gives Pez the shot uh, with the chair, blind referee, and then Bob falls down to the mat like he still hasn't recovered. I think, you know, and then rolls out of the ring. He's he's rolling back in the ring like he's still staggered. That was a, a real subtle touch that not everybody does, you know, and that shows a, a guy that either really gets it or whoever instructed him uh, really gets it, you know, because, uh, you know, that sort of subtlety is what makes a, a good angle into a great angle. And I thought the way that they pulled off to finish this match was really great, Barry. 
A hundred percent. They did. And I, here was the, so as I watch this and I, I've watched some ICW television, probably not as much as I should. Generally, it's almost always entertaining, but I got to tell you, their finishes are always solid. And look, you got Angelo Poffo. This is 1981. Angelo began his career somewhere in the fifties, if I'm correct. I would say 40s possibly, but I know it was the 1950s. So here was a guy that I think understood the wrestling business extremely well. But these finishes, from what I've seen, are fantastic. I would love to get somebody on with us that is an ICW expert to really just go through this and just talk about it. You know, we've had experts, George Shire, on a few times whenever we talk about the AWA, but. I'd love to get somebody that really knows ICW well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously there had to be a million stories. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Angelo and being kind, his uh, somewhat frugal ways, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, Randy Savage is this just incredible talent that was ready to explode, but for whatever political reasons, couldn't get a shot. Uh, and one of the bigger promotions, then the whole rivalry with Memphis and all the back and forth with Memphis, uh, the fact that you had, uh, unbeknownst to the, the fans, your main event feud for a lot of the run was a, a brother versus brother, except nobody knew there were brothers, uh, you know, and then, you know, geez, you had guys like Ronnie Garvin there, Bob Roop, you had some real talent working in ICW bear. You absolutely did. You had Boris Malenko in the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you had all of the uh, all the guys that wound up leaving Fuller's promotion. And let's be honest, too, when we talk about that, how that story has turned a little bit, because this this seems like a perfect time. So when Bob Roop came out and gave his version, there was a lot of name calling. There were a lot of people in not really in our Facebook group, which has always been very respectful, but in uh, other groups that are related to us. Would that be the right term, Jeff? Related. Uh, and there was, a, I offer yeah. no commentary. <laughs> okay. And there were a, uh, there were a lot of, of things that were said. There were a lot of aspersions that were cast the old line. Well, Bob Roop has tried to steal promotions before. This is not a one-off, which I think the reference was San Francisco with that. And then, of course, there was the uh, Ron Fuller, who had a weekly podcast and I believe still does. And Ron, a friend of the show and Ron uh, detailed about how what Bob was trying to do, et cetera. Bob always maintained that they were stealing from him and that uh, that Ron was aware of it. But, you know, in the last three or four years since this really came to light, Ron discussed it. We had Bob on our show to discuss it. You know, Robert Fuller has made a comment on another podcast, a now defunct podcast that no longer exists that uh, and Robert had six million listeners. Well, that was the allegation, well, but I don't okay. I don't quite know that uh, because, uh, yeah, Penzer does like to blow uh, <laughs> a lot of smoke. But well, you, you know what you could do is you could sure. call him and ask him. I'm sure he'd return your call. I'm sure, well, maybe not. Uh, yeah. Or even my text, but, uh, but he was on there and did say that I believe the quote was, I don't blame those guys for what they did. And then Jimmy golden on our podcast even also made a similar comment. And then of course I hear a comment just yesterday or the day before that Jerry Jarrett, when discussing that whole situation had some not flattering words about Ron Fuller and his business practices. So I, I do think that as we see this 
in a different light some three or four years later that, you know, I, I like Ron Fuller, but Bob Roop has always been a friend of mine for the last 25, 30 years. I don't know how long. Yeah, let's be been. candid. We like both guys. We do. You Look, know, it's yeah. not this is. But at the same time, this was extremely one sided and everybody had determined. Look, there was a guy and I don't know if you remember this. There was a guy in one of these sister groups that we're affiliated with that he <laughs> I'm dancing around this one, but I'm just going to go for it. He basically likened Bob to a pedophile child molester. And uh, and I got to say, in the other group, the moderators quickly took action and said, you may not agree with Bob or or what took place, but this is completely uncalled for. And but that my point being, this was the level of hate that Bob was getting because of I think this was when the video surfaced which was the plan B video. Ron had talked about this in great depth on his podcast. And really Bob's only outlet was coming on our show. Granted, we do have 20 million listeners per week. So I think the benefit of hindsight and being able to look at this a few years later, a lot of people that were close to that situation, and I am talking about Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden in particular, Jerry Jarrett to some degree, all said, I understand why Bob did what Bob had to do. And uh, that's something I think I've wanted to say for a little while now that I just haven't come out and said. Now that I've said that, we can resume our regularly scheduled program. I won't go all superstar Billy Graham like I did last week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got a couple of messages this week. People loved it, apparently, but I, I won't go I'm that. the superstar didn't text you. <laughs> superstar is not... But I'm waiting to see if I become a point of talking on his Facebook page. But I, I guess I won't. But look, it's how I feel. And I don't think I said anything that was untrue. I think what it came down to was this is my opinion first off. And then if it's a fact, I'll state something as fact. A lot of it was my opinion, though. So, yes. So we will post a link to this match, getting back to it, uh, with Bob Orton Jr. and Pez Watley. Good TV match. Uh, 1981, uh, we believe, uh, with a really strong finish. Uh, Randy Savage just completely out of his mind on commentary, saying some stuff. Uh, you'll have to listen to you for yourself. Uh, he made a comment. Let's just say he made a comment about Pez Watley uh, that uh, 40 years later is uh, not a very good stuff to say. And quite frankly, it wasn't very good stuff to say uh, 40 years ago, but uh, wouldn't have had perhaps the backlash that might have uh, occurred today. So we'll post a link to that. Hope you check it out and watch for the finish because it's a very strong one. Barry, I think you're a fan of food discussion, aren't you? I think I am, Jeff. Yes. So when I saw this list, I believe I saw it on watchmojo.com. I said to myself, Barry Rose is going to be up for this discussion. Barry Rose, top 10. Restaurants that don't exist anymore. I think you'll recognize mm, a few of these names, Barry. Are you ready to go, my friend? This sounds like fun, actually. Yes, I'm absolutely Well, I try ready. to keep you engaged. I appreciate Number it. 10, Barry, we're going to go from 10 to 1. Number 10, the official All-Star Cafe. I do remember the All-Star Cafe. There was one in Times Square where I believe we had young Zachary's first ever birthday party. 
uh, for himself. We had a big birthday event somewhere else, but the three of us went out on his birthday and that was kind of a light, fun place. Look, the, the whole all-star cafe premise as well. It wasn't, you didn't go there for some sort of culinary, you know, adventure. This but, was before you morphed into the food snob that you are now. Oh no, no, I was already a food snob at that point. <laughs> but but it was I was doing it. You look, this this was the right place because they they were super kid friendly. They put like a big thing of ice cream in front of your kid and let him make a mess and not give a shit that you know he's making a mess. They had one thing that I remember, Jeff, which I'll share with you. They had chicken tenders and they were called Captain Crunch chicken tenders, and it was ground up really fine Captain Crunch battered on a chicken tender and then deep fried. Those are really good. They sound excellent. I will have to say number nine, Barry, you're of course a fan of hee haw, right? Oh yeah. Barry, have you ever been to the restaurant? Many pearls? No, I've n- I didn't even know she even had a restaurant. Well, you did. You missed out then. Cause it's not around anymore. Many pearls uh, specializing, I believe, in Southern cooking. Uh, we bid uh, that fine restaurant chain at do. I did love hee haw though, Barry. What about you? You did love it. Yeah, you and I have talked. We loved here. Corn pone humor, just ridiculously over the top, you know, like uh, some good songs. And and every once in a while, you'd have an artist on there that was really good. Uh, so um, number eight, Barry, do you remember Delights? Uh, no, I don't think D apostrophe L-I-T-E-S. So here's what's interesting. Delights was a chain that I believed uh, uh, they kind of kept their menu uh, on the locale side, uh, you know, more healthy. So naturally, of course, the chain was bought out by who, Barry? The good folks at Hardee's. Oh, nothing <laughs> says healthy like eating at Hardee's, Barry. They flame <laughs> yeah. broil their meat. So number seven, Barry, have you ever heard of Lion's Restaurant? L-Y-O-N-S. I've never heard of this chain either. Barry, what kind of food person are you? you I know. Heard? Apparently, Lions was purchased by the Sarah Lee Corporation to make as their version of Denny's. Now, yep. first of all, do you like a good Sarah Lee, Barry? I haven't had a good Sarah Lee in a while, but I used to like Sarah Lee. Yeah, I just like their, uh, their banana cake. I remember that yeah. when I was a kid. Mom used to buy the banana cake. I, I always liked that. So, yeah. So they uh, decided to make their version of Denny's. Obviously, Denny said, yeah, go fuck yourself. You're not beating us out of the uh, gate here. Uh, Barry, number six, Bill Knapps. Have you ever heard of that? Nope. Never heard of that either. Scratch food and birthday discounts were the chief attraction of Bill Knapps with a K. Number five, Barry. You familiar with Red Barn? Sounds a little more familiar than places like Lions and Delight, but I oh, what read. apparently was interesting about Red Barn? Red Barn may have been the first restaurant chain to come up with the concept of salad bars. This is probably why I don't know about Red Barn personally, Gary. Yeah, well, and look, I like I, well, I, I used to like salad bars. I, currently, I wouldn't go to a salad bar now, but I used to like salad bars. But so the restaurants. These were national chains, like in well, a bunch I mean, of states. Were chains, uh, we're we're talking about chains that you know would have had more than one or two. You know, okay. like uh, you know, you have some chains that are more localized than you have some that were nationalized. You know, I believe the official All Star Cafe, for instance, was more right. of a national chain. And we're going to get up to uh, when we get into the top uh, three or four, we're going to get to some more national chains. But uh, yeah, so Rad, I think I, was, I thought that was pretty interesting. The first place to go to that had a salad bar was Red Barn, number four. Barry. Now here is one. Now we're getting the names you know, Barry. Barry, were you a fan of Lums? Oh, was I a fan of Lums. Huge fan of Lums. Jeff, whether it was the hot dog steamed in beer. Yes, that was the that was the one that everyone loved. 
Oh, my God. Best hot dog you'd ever have. Or uh, they also had the Ollie Burger. And the Ollie Burger was a real big deal. There was a restaurant on Miami Beach, which Bruce Cohen talks about all the time, called Ollie's. Also a location in D.C. where there's an Ollie's trolley. Not well, funny trolley. you should mention that because according to this a video that I watched, the last remaining Lums, because I remember there was a Lums in Metropolitan Davie, Florida for a while. Absolutely. One of the yeah. last holdouts. But the last official Lums was located in Washington, D.C. and turned into the aforementioned Ollie's trolley. I did not know that. Wow. That's now there's some trivia for you, ladies. Well, Bruce, yeah. Bruce, did you hear that? I had no yeah, idea. Did you know that, Bruce? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Did you miss it? Anyway, big deal. But anyways, the Ollie Burger was a big deal. Ollie had a restaurant in Miami Beach. And what is what he's known for is he had a blend of these herbs and spices that would go on his burgers and his fries. Lums at the time, I'll say it was late 70s, maybe 1980 max. They paid $1 million to Ali to get the recipe. Ali closed shop. He went on permanent vacation and eventually passed away. But Lums was great. Lums was Lums was Chili's in some ways, maybe Applebee's Chili's. But I do think the quality of food was actually better, Jeff. Yeah, but I, as far as uh, the level of the chain, I mean, this we're not talking McDonald's here. No, uh, no. But, uh, full know, service. Yeah. yeah. The uh, But no, again, the the – the hot dogs that were uh, made in a, uh, a beer, uh, you know, that was uh, next level stuff. Really good. And, uh, you know, talk about Ollie's trolley and you mentioned the guy, Ollie. Yeah, I bury not a lot of guys in Ollie lately. Have you, you noticed what? that? No, yeah, you know what? In, in, there's guys named Oliver, but nobody calls themselves Ollie. That, yeah, you're it's, right. it's not a big name. It reminds me of the old George Carlin joke from way back when, Barry. Uh, he used to say, hey, did you ever notice there's not a lot of Chinese guys named Rusty? <laughs> yeah, there's not. So number three, Barry, do you remember <laughs> Burger Chef? <laughs> I'm still laughing at that last one. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I, I pull one out. So did you ever see, okay, I'm going to go sideways, right, as I always do. Okay. Did you ever see on Facebook where there's a post and it, it's somebody you know is commented, but normally it's not something you're a part of, and it'll say tag your favorite comedian or tag your favorite celebrity and see if they respond. I don't know about you. I always tag dead people. <laughs> I always, I'm putting go. in George Carlin. That's why when you say Carlin, I put in George Carlin almost every time, and I'm waiting for George Carlin to appear on a thread. So, yes. That um, is the kind of edgy humor that Barry Rose brings to this fine podcast. So – Number three, Barry, Burger Chef. Do you remember Burger Chef? No, I don't remember Burger Chef. I do remember Burger Chef. Again, it was not uh, up to your uh, your McDonald's, uh, your uh, your burger. I don't even know Burger King had really broken out national by then. Uh, burger Chef was uh, the one slightly below McDonald's here. But key fact about Burger Chef, number one, they were the first chain to introduce the kids' meal and when they did the national commercials for Burger Chef, what celebrity do you suppose was wearing the Burger Chef uniform singing the Burger Chef jingle, Barry? If you say George Carlin, I will no, shit my pants. That right would now. be funny, right. though. That would nope. have been funny. Wait, what, year, what year was this? Uh, this would have probably been early 70s. He could have done it, but it wasn't. So it's a guy. Okay. It's not. Oh, oh you said he. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Lucille Ball did it. No. Right. I thought it, it was a, a person pretending to be an employee. And maybe, hey, I don't know, maybe this person fell on hard times and had to get a job at Burger Right, Chef. Burger Chef. I don't know. No, it was the distinguished actress Eve Plum from the Brady Bunch, Jan Brady. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. 
there was Eve Plum in the national commercial for Burger Chef. I thought that was kind of interesting. Barry, number two. Oh, I've got a story about this place. Barry, do you remember Wags? Oh, and I loved Wags. Absolutely. So I'll tell you the story. At number one, uh, Wags apparently was is either owned or bought out by the Walgreens chain. And so uh, that's sort of where I guess maybe their restaurant was inside uh, the old school Walgreens. And then they made them into a you know, freestanding restaurant. So I'll tell you the story that I have about Wags. So this is going back. Oh, boy. Uh, almost uh, 33 years ago. So uh, a guy that I uh, no longer have contact with, uh, my old friend Dennis Wiley, was uh, going out. Uh, we went on a double date. And uh, this was, uh, let me see, let me do the math here. This was between marriage one and two. And so we went on a double date. And uh, so we, we had dropped the girl that I was uh, with off. And we were going back. And my friend Dennis and his uh, date, uh, her name was uh, Suzanne. And uh, boy, if there's anybody from the courthouse, they'll know who Suzanne is here. Uh, so they decided, and, and this was like one of these uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning type of things, okay? So they're like, why don't we go and get a bite to eat, okay? So, of course, the wags there on the corner of uh, a Federal Highway 17th Street Causeway. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah that's what have literally been like half a block from Flaherty's uh, abode. Uh, and so I uh, didn't know Flaherty then uh, at that point, though. So we go into the wags. And, uh, you know, it's just like, uh, would you like something to drink? Can I get you a cup of coffee? Uh, some, you know, something along those lines. And so uh, I said, oh, yeah, I'll take this a drink. So Dennis is sitting with Suzanne on the other side of the table. I'm in the booth, by, my, you know, on my side by myself. And the waitress comes over and she, you know, takes the drinks and she puts them down. And then she says, okay, now what, what do you guys want to eat? And so we're giving her our order. And as she gets to leave, she goes to pick up my menu. She picks up the menu. It hits my glass. And the, the glass, uh, you know, whatever it was, soda, tea, water, spills into my lap, okay? Like, just floods, like I've got some sort of urinary infection or something, okay? She then picks up her dish rag, okay, and begins wiping down the front of my pants. Who is she's this? Give, she's the waitress. Wow. She begins to give me a vigorous wipe down. And at, after about, like, literally three or four seconds, she stops. She looks me dead in the eye and she goes, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. And I went, oh, please, that's fine. Continue. And so how everyone kind of busted out you? laughing. It was very funny. But the look of horror when she realized that she was uh, basically fondling my crotch, it was good times, Bear. Oh, yeah, she didn't know. Sure, she didn't know. Yeah, her hand's in your crotch, but she's unaware. Uh, yeah. How old were you at this date? I was, uh, let's say, 27, uh, 27-ish. So, you know, I still had my game going on there. Yeah, you, know? yeah. you were getting into it, too. I liked WAGs. We used to have a WAGs across from my high school, North Miami Beach Senior High. Go and, fighting. Fighting what? Uh, fighting Panthers. Okay. We were, the, I believe, the Panthers. I used to go there for breakfast every day. But I would you had to get the lunch, which they would they would serve for breakfast. So going into school at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm eating hamburgers, French fries and Cokes. Well-balanced diet. Jeff. Yes, of course. And once again, probably the result of quality parenting by Mr. And Mrs. Rose, as we've discussed in the past on the show. Number one, Barry, a staple of the interstate highway system back in the day. Did you ever go to Howard Johnson's Hojo's? Oh, my God. So. Where I lived, I grew up on Collins Avenue in Miami Beach. We had two Howard Johnsons literally within walking distance. I would say I was probably there 
three to five times per week. I did have a favorite, Jeff. And there were a couple that I really enjoyed. I, I liked I actually liked a lot of their burgers and all that stuff, but they would do I don't I don't know I don't know if you're a fan, clams. They would do deep fried clams and they would do a clam roll. Were, were they the bearded variety? It, oh, I was waiting for that. They were <laughs> not they were they were <laughs> yes. Juvenile <laughs> were, humor, of course. Where else yeah. to expect it but here? Yeah, they were, uh, but <laughs> they were. That's they twice were, I made you laugh. Thank you. You did. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're cracking me up today. But they would, so they would come on this hot dog roll, and it was a specific Wait, we're roll. talking bearded clams and hot dogs now. Hey, thank you. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, try the veal. But it was, uh, the roll was the greatest. It was almost a hot dog roll, but it was bready on the outside, but the, the cooked part was on, I don't know, it's hard to describe, it's like a almost like a mini loaf of bread split down the middle, but really light and, and tasty. They would stuff it with clams. You would get cocktail sauce or tartar sauce on the side. Hojo's to me was a it was a great concept. It did, definitely didn't survive. I believe there's still one or two left. And a lot of them were actually attached to the Hojo's Howard Johnson's hotels. Sure. which I believe there's a, still only a couple left. And these were not great hotels, but I got to tell you, as a restaurant, loved Hojo's Howard Johnson's. The last one that I remember seeing, there was one on the corner of 95 and State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. Do you remember that one? I do remember. I remember yeah. that all the yeah. so, time. And weren't they, didn't they have like, uh, what was it that, that there was their, their shtick? Was it the ice cream or something like that? Or am I thinking of another chain? I think you're thinking of something else. Their shtick was... I think, well, let me take it back. I, wasn't it ice cream sodas? Maybe that's what it was. And Sweet Lou checking in, by the way, coming from Sweet Lou scam likely, Lou Kippelman. Trivia note, famous chef Jacques Pepin was the executive chef for the Hojo's organization in the 1960s. That's interesting. A French chef was the executive well, of chef. Of course, because when you think about uh, Hojo's, you think French food, you know. Well, French fries. I'll have the croissant, please. Yeah, they had none of that. <laughs> none of it. Very time for the old go home here, episode 228 of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Fun-filled episode, as always, Mr. Rose. Yes, this was. This was a, you know, having Bob Wharton Jr. And you and I were right there from the beginning of his career. And then we watched the development into uh, being a major star in the Federation. So he doesn't do a lot of podcast appearances. I'm not aware of any. I'm sure he's done something. I'm just hey, well, He wasn't on McAdams' show? No? Ooh. Okay. Oh. Now they stick to wrestling. Wait, well, I guess he could have been. He could have been a popular special guest host on uh, on McAdams. Yeah, but but he uh, he was. I'm, I'm so looking for the first time that there is an unpub. This son of a bitch who I didn't want to have on the show is uh, on the on the show with me this week. Anyway. Yeah, we need to. Uh, <laughs> we need we love to, you, John. We love you, buddy. We do. We need to get John on to clarify that. And I think Jamie Ward, the aforementioned Jamie Ward, I mentioned at the beginning of the show was a popular special co-host at one time. And our own Sweet Lou is the producer of that show. Sweet Lou, join us for a moment, if you will. If you have, uh -oh, I know- Lou's gonna try to stay out of this. I know he is, but, and I, I know that in his contract with Arcadian Vanguard, there's only so many appearances he can make. So I, I don't wanna screw that up. But has there ever been an unpopular special guest co-host for that show? Hmm, uh, if, if there is, I-, I... Was it Jamie Ward? Oh, no. Jamie's been on a few times. <laughs> so he's not an unpopular guest, though. That, that's good to know. Yeah. So. I, I, it seems like every guest is a popular guest. 
So, ah, really? Yeah. Even me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You also, <laughs> yes. The ratings went through the roof when the sweet man was on there. And speaking you know, of the sweet man, you know what they're going to call that? What's you know what that? They're going to call that the Lou chair from now on. Okay. Yeah. Whoever's in that chair, that's the official Lou chair. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very special episode. <laughs> <laughs> so as we prepare for the go home, we'll have Lou go back to the Lou chair uh, for my co-host, Barry Rose, uh, getting ready for Valentine's Day and his special plans <laughs> that apparently romantically involved Jamie Ward. Good luck with that. <laughs> so I will say that I am Jeff Bowder, and sometimes they call me the booker. And for uh, Breaking K Fable, Bowder and Barry, which, by the way, production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, pulled it out of my ass there, Lou, at the last second. Take it home.